everybody. How are you? And welcome to the John Riley Project. And today we're going to be talking Padres baseball. I'm really happy to have as my guest once again here in the JRP podcast studio, Mr. David Leland. How are you, Dave? I'm great. Ready for opening day this week. How about you? Yeah, that's going to be what? Thursday, right? It's coming yeah. here pretty quick. Yeah. So I thought we could maybe spend a little time together and we can kind of talk about the 2021 season. And there's a lot of really interesting storylines. I mean, obviously, expectations for the team are through the roof. Um, but uh, let, let me just ask you, what, what are some of the more uh, interesting storylines that you see as we're getting ready for opening day? Well, for me, I think you just got to talk about how can you not talk about Will Myers at this point with what he's done this spring after he had the bounce back 2020 and coming into the season, everyone was like, is he going to continue that or is or do you only do it because it was a short season? But based on everything we've seen this spring, you got to believe he's going to continue it. I mean, he's been red hot. I mean, how, his OPS is well over a thousand for the spring. It's like 1200 last I saw. Well, hopefully, you know, maybe we're going to finally get the Will Myers that for a full 162 that we always wished for, right? Yeah, which he's never even done himself because you remember 2016, he kind of struggled in the second half. His rookie of the year season with Tampa Bay was what, 90-something games? Right. So, yeah, that's exciting. Um, and, uh, you know, I noticed, um, you know, that he, he's been – you know, they've been alternating him with a couple of other right fielders. I know, uh, was it Tucapita Marcano has been getting a lot of play and right. I mean, how do you think that's shaping up as far as the outfield, um, you know, reserves for the roster? I mean, that's pretty, that's, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's pretty interesting to me because with Trent Grisham dealing with the hamster injury and it sounds like he's not going to be ready opening day. That's kind of a big problem to me. One of the few problems I see. Because the other injuries, you know, with Nola missing time to start the year with the finger, Caratini and Camp Usano can fill in fine. And then we got pitching depth to make up for slow playing Lamette. And, um, you know, Johnson's got the groin injury. Adams has an elbow injury. They're not quite back yet. So we're good on the pitching depth. But center field with Grisham not being ready concerns me because we don't really have another center fielder on the roster. We're going to be putting a corner guy out of position there. Right. Well, isn't um, O'Grady kind of a natural center fielder? I don't know about center fielder, but I'll say one thing about O'Grady. He is a much better athlete than I thought. Mm-hmm. I thought he was kind of just like a outfield, uh, corner outfield, first base, like left-handed power off the bench. And he's got pop. We've seen it this spring, but he had a stolen base on Saturday against the Angels, and he showed off pretty good wheels. I'm like, this guy's a better athlete than I thought. Right on. Now, the only problem um, is Arizona's throwing two lefties in the opening series. So, okay, Yeah, so he he won't get much time. I mean, there's a chance that he may not even make the opening day roster, right? I mean, it was I think it was down to him or Mateo if everybody was healthy. But now that Grisham's not going to be ready to start the year, I think there's room for both of them at that point. But is there room for Marcano as well? That's the question I have. See, you'd only take two out of those three, right? Um, Brady Marcano. So if you're going to have the two catchers, Camp Usano and Carantini, because Nola's not going to be ready to start. You figure five bench players. So Camp mm-hmm. Usano, assuming Caratini gets the bulk of the starts while Nola's out. Obviously, Profar and, Kim, and Hase Young Kim are going to be there. And then, yeah, two of the three between Mateo, O'Grady, and Marcano, and I really like Marcano, but I don't know about him in the major leagues just yet, so I'd go with Mateo and O'Grady. 
Yeah, that seems like the safer bet. But, you know, it's interesting how it's all shaken out. Yeah, and, I was uh, I was not looking forward to the debate between Mateo and O'Grady because they both have their pluses. One of them's a speed guy off the bench and Mateo and other guys left-handed bad O'Grady. And Mateo, I was pretty down on him at the start of spring, but he really came on the second part of the spring. So kind of won me over there with his wheels if he can hit a little bit, which he has in the second half of the spring. Well, he's always been such a highly touted prospect in the minor leagues for both the Yankees and the A's. It's nice to see him actually bearing fruit. So let's see if he can do it in the regular season. Yeah, he hit like under 200 last year, but he didn't get very many at-bats. I mean, you can't take much away from that. He was mostly just a pinch runner last year. Well, we're already getting some uh, comments here on the live stream and from Chris. So, hey, he first of all says, love your stuff, David. Enjoy the season. Um, and Chris is really high on you, Darvish. He says, Darvis, our, our Iranian Japanese phenom, can't wait to see him go after last year's performance. So stoked. I mean, you got to love the way this starting rotation is shaping up. Huh? Oh, I absolutely do. And I'm glad he mentioned you, Darvish, because I have a pretty interesting opinion on you, Darvish. I mean, is he a good pitcher? Yeah, especially because he's got his personal catcher and Victor Caratini coming over with him from Chicago. So I think he's a pretty good bet for a 200 strikeout season, but I don't think he's going to completely dominate like he did last year. Because if you remember last year, not only was it only 60 games, but it was going, it was only regional play. So he faced a lot of lineups in those two central divisions that were, uh, and one of the lineups that didn't struggle last year was his own in Chicago. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you get to face the pirates, um, you know, the, the Reds are definitely not one of the elite teams, right? I mean, Reds, and not only that, the Reds, they have good hitters, but they didn't hit last year. So that's basically right. it's that's the Alan Zinner effect. He was their hitting coach last year. We know all about him in San Diego. Well, he's the Zen master, right? That guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, isn't he? He kind of does a little bit of new age voodoo with the hitters, if, if I remember. Um, I know not to stray too far off topic, but the thing I hated about Alan Zinner when he was our hitting coach was everybody's home runs went up, but their on-base percentages, their walk percentages, their all went down and their strikeouts skyrocketed every single hitter. And then (laughs) remember Myers was having that rough 2017 and people were like, Oh, we paid this guy. And now he's kind of, uh, and then we fired Zinner and Myers went off in September. So, well, you know, it, it used to be, or it has for a very long time, is the hitting coach for the Padres is the most uh, dangerous job in America because he only usually lasts a season or two. Damian easily made it to a second season. And they're they're high on him. I know Myers and Machado have all been really, um, you know, glowing reviews of Easley. So. That's easily is one of the two reasons I think Meyer, um, Myers' is 2020 is sustainable. The other being – and I've talked about this before on here is that he's just a different guy from the guy we saw when Andy Green was the manager. You know, he's more into it. He's more engaged. He seems like he's having more fun. He's more relaxed. So, yeah, it, it, it's fun. I mean, I, I'm always been a big, you know, supporter of Will Myers. You know, you kind of have a guy who's been here now for seven years. You just want to see him have some some success, right? Yeah, I honestly was like, we got to get rid of this guy after 2019. And I believe I even said that on here at least once. But you did. You were really down on him. He's kind of proved me wrong. And I hope he continues to do so in 2021. I agree. Um, Again, more comments here on the live stream. Mike Ryan with the roar comment here. Heart of the lion. Um, 
Chris Sohei also says, uh, going to be a fun season. Hope to go to a game. And, um, yeah, what do you say? Wrigley balls fly out. So kind of agree, I guess, some of the commentary on on Darvish. But, um, you know, I think it, the, let's go through the starting rotation because I, there's still a lot of question marks, even though it looks good on paper. I kind of wonder about some of the spots in it. And we've talked about Darvish. What are your thoughts on Blake Snell? I think Snell's going to be great. And I know I talked about Myers' Cactus League line, and but you really can't take too much away from Cactus League stats for proven players who like know what their role is going to be. But Blake Snell looked fantastic this spring. I mean, isn't he just a fun guy to watch? He's just so competitive and – when he has his post-game pressers, he's just so candid. It's um, so it's kind of interesting with Snell because, you know, off the field, he kind of just seems like, you know, kind of a goofball, kind of a funny guy. But on the field, he's a real competitor. Yeah, he really is. And it's nice to have another lefty arm when we face the Dodgers, right? Oh, yeah. And he owned the Dodgers in the World Series. And who knows? Maybe the Game 7 would have been pushed back all the way to yesterday if because, um, you know, Turner tested positive if they didn't take him out after games in the, in the sixth inning of game six, which is just one of the worst managerial decisions I've ever seen. <laughs> but no, Snell is the Dodgers number. At least he did in the world series. So that's, it's great to have him for that. Cause they couldn't touch him in the world series. Now, one of the deals with Snell is that the Rays would only let him go through the batting lineup twice. And then they would pull him like in the fifth or sixth inning. What's your take on that? Do you think he can go deeper into into the, uh, the the third time through? I absolutely think he can. I think that's more of a Tampa Bay organizational decision that they don't really let guys do that. Yeah, so then our number three pitcher, I guess, on paper would be Lamette, but he won't start for the season, right? No, nah, but he pitched another Cactus League game today. They're just kind of playing it slow with him. Yeah, He'll probably be back mid to late April, I'd say, which is fine. I mean, you don't need him. When for Arizona, San Francisco, Texas, and Pittsburgh, you need him when you're playing the Dodgers in September at Dodger Stadium. Well, did you see the box score in today's game? Did you see what happened to Chris Paddock? Yeah, that's the next picture I wanted to get into because I was really hopeful for Chris Paddock the first half of the spring because he's talking about looking into some of the analytics to help him improve his fastball. He talked about how he had it was he was throwing some curveballs that looked good, so I was kind of hopeful, but. Didn't have a great outing against uh, Chicago, the Cubs. Uh, what was that, a week and a half ago? Maybe two weeks yeah. ago? And then today, he just got bombed. Well, six earned runs in and one third inning. Yeah, that was horrible. I don't I don't really know what to make of Paddock. He's a huge question mark to me. I mean, really. I mean, I think he's pretty much, I think, slotted as the number five, right? Assuming Lamette was starting. Yeah, which means he'll be four to start the season when Lamette's still working his way back. Yeah, so questionable with Paddock. Then I guess really now our number three starter, or maybe number four if we're fully loaded, would be Musgrove, Joe Musgrove. What are your thoughts on him? Love this trade. I mean, not only because he's a San Diego guy. I mean, he's wearing 44 because PB was his favorite player growing up. Not only a San Diego guy, you know, his parents had season tickets at Qualcomm and Petco, but... He's he's a breakout candidate to me. He has really good stuff. He, his numbers on surface with Pittsburgh don't wow you at all, but underlying numbers look they look a lot better. And remember, Pittsburgh doesn't really know how to use pitchers the right way. Look what happened to Chris Archer when he went from Tampa Bay to Pittsburgh, and Tyler Glass now vice versa. 
Yeah, it's uh, yeah, Pittsburgh. Interesting, you know. Yeah, you're right. They they have struggled with their pitchers. You know, Archer has been a trouble there when he went. Um, but it seemed like Musgrove figured some things out, right? Didn't he look at the analytics and pitches he thought he wasn't very good at turned out to be the ones he got big outs on? Yeah, and Pittsburgh fired their old school pitching coach after the 2019 season. And you saw a little bit of that with Musgrove last year. Couldn't really see that much because it was only 60-game season, so he pitched, what, 10 times maybe? Right. But he's looked good this spring. He had five no-hit innings yesterday. Yeah, he looked spectacular. I watched part of that game. Um, you know, speaking of Pittsburgh, um, my son was telling me about Kevin Newman. It's just having a great spring. Yeah, Poway kid. I think he's hitting over 700 this spring. I think he's won the Pirates starting shortstop job. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I'm really happy for him. I mean, it's nice to see some Poway love here. And then, you know, even Musgrove's got some Poway connections because he works out with a pitching coach here in town. So um, his cousin went to Poway High, too. Musgrove's? Really? Yeah, Musgrove's cousin. Nice. Okay. So all the linkage here back to our hometown. Um, so all good. So you figure starting the season, you know, assuming Lamette's not on the roster, it'll be Darvish, Snell, Musgrove, probably Paddock. And we're kind of hoping out, holding out hope for him. And then who's the number five in your opinion? How can it be anybody else other than Adrian Morihone? I was very pleased with what I saw from Morihone this spring. I've talked about him before on here, how he's always guy, you know, the stuff just is like, wow, that's great stuff. But he was so up and down, one outing dominant, next down he'd get bombed, and then things would just always snowball on him. But this spring, he showed a lot of maturity. Like, when he got into jams, he got out of them. He got a double play ball, or he got a strikeout and a pop-up. He showed much improved composure this spring, not letting things spiral on him. And as he went further into the spring, his command and control seemed to really improve, too. I think he had, what, five strikeouts, no walks, to start against Arizona, and then six strikeouts, two walks, to start against San Francisco. So mm-hmm. I'm very excited for Maury Hone this year. It looks like he might be starting to unlock that potential. Yeah, and it's nice to see a you know young kid that we invested, what, $11 million bucks in? And then had to basically match that with the penalty um, when we signed him, you know, about what was it, five years ago or so? Yeah, so, 2016. So, yeah, five years ago. Um, so, yeah, it's nice to see him bearing fruit. But he's in his major league appearances, he's usually only gone like one, two, three innings. So, has he gone at least five in any of his spring training outings? He pitched into the fourth against uh, San Francisco. Okay. I think well, he's a guy though that you just. I think he's a guy though you just say let it rip for five innings, kid, and then you know put him at the back of the rotation. Darvish can go seven the next day to cover the innings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think use us for more at home. Just tell him to let it rip for five innings. <laughs> Don't so, hold anything back. If Morahone's the number five, and you know you got Lamette that's going to come up and. You know, probably Morahone or Paddock will get bumped most likely um, when Lamette returns. Or will go to. Do you think they might do a six man? Do you think that's a possibility? I absolutely think that's a possibility. Uh, Jace Tingler talked about it because building up from sixty games to one hundred sixty-two and having twenty-four games in twenty-five days to start the year. They announced today that Ryan Weathers would made the team. I wonder if he'll be that sixth starter. Ah, they did make that announcement. Have they made the full roster announcement for opening day, or was it just a one? No, they haven't. They just announced 
Weathers would make it, and they announced all the guys who would start on IL, which is Grisham, Nola, Austin Adams, Dan Altavilla, obviously Strom. Altavilla, is he really injured, or he just had a crappy spring? I mean, I don't think he should be on the team <laughs> regardless. He's not very yeah. good. Yeah, he, he seems a questionable arm, but I think he's one of those guys that if they if they um, their only option is really to waive him, right? Because he's out of options. Yeah, but I mean, at some point, you just got to cut your losses. You can't. We're no longer in a position where we were from 2000, pretty much 2011 to 2019, where if you waive a guy, you're like, who has any upside at all, you're like, oh, we don't want to lose that upside. We're not really in a position like that anymore. Right. So, so then if, if we have, um, weathers on the roster, potentially the number six starter or kind of a long man out of the bullpen. So then Gore probably doesn't make the, the starting no. opening day roster. No, it, it, Castle pretty much said he won't. And I'm still high on him long-term, but it was clear by the results this spring that he still needs work. I think his last outing, like he gave up, I think three runs in one inning. Um, so yesterday against Cleveland, yeah. What do you know? What the issue is with him? Is he just, um, you know, is he struggling with control, or what's the problem? Yeah, I don't know what happened necessarily yesterday. I don't think it was walks yesterday. Early in the spring, it was kind of control problems. Now I just think he's not making throwing good enough strikes. Like he's being too hittable because he's trying too hard to throw strikes and he's leaving it out over the plate. So then let, let's break this down. So are you assuming that the opening day roster is going to have 12 position players and 14 pitchers? I think you're only, I had a friend tell me this morning, you're only allowed to have 13 pitchers. So that would be 13 and 13 because it's 26 man now, remember? Right. Well, you said 14 and 12. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So, so if there are 13 pitchers, we just named potentially the six man rotation. Right? Yes. So who are the remaining, um, you know, six to seven pitchers on the roster? I mean, obviously uh, Drew Pomeranz, uh, Emilio Pagan, love Pomeranz. I think, I don't think he should be the closer though. Cause I think we're best suited with Pomeranz kind of in that Andrew Miller and Cleveland role where you bring him in with the game on the line. Because if we're in a one-run game in the sixth or seventh inning at Dodger Stadium with Corey Seager, Max Muncy, and Cody Bellinger coming up, I want Drew Pomeranz in the game then. Right. Yeah, the high-leverage guy, right? Absolutely. And so Pagan is the closer, do you think? That's what they've been saying. I'm not I'm not thrilled with that idea if that's the case because you just don't know what you're going to get with Pagan. He's so inconsistent year-to-year, game-to-game, really. You just – Never know what you're going to get with Pagan. I don't like kind of. I don't like that as a closer, not knowing what you're going to get. Well, it's you know, it's not like they don't have options. I mean, I think Mark Melanson probably has the most experience as a closer, right? Oh, he, that, there's no question about that. The problem that I see with Melanson is that he had a decent ERA with Atlanta last year, but the underlying numbers were not great. He didn't strike anybody out. Gave up a decent amount of hits. Just turned 36. I'm. I don't know how I feel. I don't like the idea of Melanson as a closer. I think he'd just get bombed if it was like a one-run game and you part of the order coming up. I don't trust him to get out of that unscathed. Not so, at this stage in his career. So let's just play some. He's some like a middle control. reliever to me, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he could definitely play that role, like a one-inning guy for like the seventh inning or the eighth yeah, inning. Yeah, absolutely. 
So let's just have some fun here. So if Pagan isn't your closer, if Pomeranz is not your closer, if Melanson is not your closer, then who's left that could pl- that could take on that job? I'm going with Keona Kella. Okay. And the so reason I say this, Kella, he has closer stuff. There's absolutely no question about that. He saved 24 games with Texas in 2018, so he's done it before. He absolutely has the stuff. Because he had some outings this spring where he just looked really good. Mm-hmm. I believe it was Friday, I want to say. He had another scoreless inning where he struck out the side. But he, he also kind of has more of that kind of tough guy image, right? You know, just the guy that's going to really shut you down. But he'll also get into a brawl if you need him to, right? <laughs> I guess you could say that, yeah. But he got into a big fight like a year or two ago, I remember. Um, I can't remember who was who the fight was with. It was when he was with Pittsburgh. Yes, yes. And, and um, it might have been Puig. No, it wasn't Puig. Puig, of course, got into it after it started. But he threw at um, Derek Dietrich after Dietrich had the home run earlier in the year that he watched when it went into the Allegheny River. <laughs> that guy. That guy's a punk. Um yeah, but he he loves to, to watch his homers, Dietrich. Um, but I remember, yeah, there was a big, you know, scuffle there. And I remember Kilo was right in the middle of it all. Did you see yeah. the, um, the thing by the ringer? They did they did something where it, it said something like, the player most likely in the Padres-Dodgers rivalry to start a brawl, and Kelo was number one. Yeah, 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 exactly. And, you know, it's kind of cool having, you know, that – tough mean guy you know coming in i just remember old school it was like you know the mad hungarian al hraboski or goose gossage you know it's just kind of this tough guy that had come in and shut the door you guys i mean you gotta have those kind of guys though i mean if you don't if you're soft you're not gonna win anything you gotta have those guys like you don't want people to mess with you exactly you want a little you bit you gotta of have food. a no-nonsense guy like that yeah so so now we've named what four guys that yes. are all potential closers that are all like one inning guys, right? Yeah. Um, then you've got the six starters. So there's still room for I think three more pitchers in the bullpen. So who do you got to start? Well, Tim Hill will be there. That seems pretty okay. clear to me. For sure. Stammen, he has a guaranteed contract, so he'll be there. Right. Even though he's not really that good anymore. It seems like they're kind of preparing him for that multi-inning role because they even let him bat in a game. Well, they need a guy to play that role because everyone else is like one inning. Yeah, it seems like Stammen or Weathers, if he's in the bullpen, will be that guy. Right. Now, does Pierce Johnson start on opening day? Sounds like he's going to miss the start of the year, still working his way back from that groin injury. Mm -hmm. So I don't really know. You're going to have Taylor Williams maybe? Haven't seen a ton of him Tom for him this spring though is it a lot of people are talking about Chris Matt he had a great spring a lot of people are talking about him as their sleeper to make it kind of I guess like Adam Simber a couple years ago yeah is he the guy that played for the Cardinals like a couple years ago I believe so yes yeah he apparently he's been really good this spring so he has I think he's an ERA under one right on so I think right there we've got I think we just named seven relievers, right? Yeah. You know, so we, we got, uh, you said Stammen, Hill, and is it Krismet? Is that his name? Yeah. And, and then you've got the, the four other one-inning guys, Keela, Pomeranz, 
uh, Pagan and Melanson. Yes. That's seven in the bullpen. You've got six starters. Yeah. Assuming that Weathers is your number six. Um, And that leaves room for 13 position players. So um, how do you see that one shaking out? I think we kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, but who do you have as your 13 position players for opening day? Well, Nola's starting with the on the IL with the fractured finger on his glove hand. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have the two catchers, Camp Usano and Caratini. Obviously, you got Tatisa Machado at short and third, and Hosmer Cronenworth at first and second. You're going to have Myers and Pham on the corner outfield spots. Then you're going to have Kent. So that's seven guys right there. Seven? No, eight, because I named both catchers. And then you're going to have O'Grady. Definitely, probably O'Grady, probably Mateo, definitely Kim and Profar. You know, maybe there is room for a Marcano. Yeah, I think if they're going to do 13 and 13, there is. But I, I had read earlier that they were thinking of 14 p- pitchers and 12 position players. But to your point, maybe there is a rule that limits them to 13. I, I don't know. Yeah, um, I don't know. Marcano as a bench guy, that seems do I say risky maybe because he's a guy who could still use some development and playing time down in the minor leagues, but he's had a great spring. Yes. The thing though is if you're going to have Marcano on the roster, you want him to be an infield and outfield guy. And he's looked pretty bad defensively in the outfield. Well, what, what's your take on Hassan Kim? I'm not real worried about him not hitting the spring training because it's hard coming over from a different country. Right. Otani really struggled in his first spring training. He was fine once the season started. I saw somebody say that Ichiro struggled in his first spring training over from Japan. So not real worried. Kim, he got better in the towards the end of spring training too. So I'm not worried at all about Hasaya Kim. He's fine. Did you see any of his playtime when he was in the outfield? Did he look okay out there? He only played one game out there. I'm not sure if like they hit a fly ball to him or he had to move to get to a ball. I think it was just one game out there, so I don't think you can judge that yet. Yeah, I mean, he'll probably be fine. He's a great athlete, so it shouldn't be a problem. Um, so of all the names, okay, what's the, the one or two names that we have not mentioned yet that you think could actually make an impact with this team sometime this year? Hmm. Well, I'm, it would be cheating to say Gore because obviously he'll if there's injuries, he'll come up. It's just hard to say with this team because you have, you know, all your guys lined up and they're all really good. So where's the spot for somebody to come up? Abrams, maybe like someone could get hurt. Like, let's just say Tatis went down with an injury. Do you bring up Abrams? Mm, you see, I don't know about that. He hasn't. Pl- he's only played a couple games at eight ball. He hasn't even played double A yet. So but he looked good this spring, didn't he? Oh, he absolutely did. But I still don't know how I feel about him in the major leagues when he hasn't even played. Uh, he hasn't even played high A yet. He only played a couple games at Fort Wayne in 2019. Okay, that's and that's all his experience above, above rookie ball. So, what about maybe Jorge Oña? Do you think he has a chance to get some time up at the show? Yeah, sure. Now, Fowler gets hurt. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm just trying to think of some other names that we might see at some point. Um. It's kind of fun. I mean, it's amazing that for once we've got a team that not only do you have outstanding players on the starting lineup, but like your bench, you can put those guys in and 
our bench players could have started for us. I mean, most of the last decade. See, and that's uh, another thing about what you were saying about what's a guy that we're, we didn't mention that could do something is that if Tatis were to get hurt, you could just plug him in at shortstop. It's not like you call, you reach into the minor leagues and bring somebody up and they go off. Cause we have Kim right. who could just come off the bench and play short. Yeah. I like how they really set this up. I think they obviously saw what the Dodgers have been doing about having all this multi-position flexibility. I think it's kind of fun. It'll be fun to see how you know this plays out with double switches and because they're not going to bring the DH back, right? I mean, that's not going to happen. This year. It's too late now. It's, there's only three days to opening day. They would have had to do it already. So what's your estimate on number of wins for 2021 for the Padres? Um, my, my official prediction is 96 wins. Mm -hmm. Could, it could, it could go as high as a hundred, maybe 101. If things go perfect, if too many guys struggle or get hurt, I could see them winning as few as like 90. Yeah. I, I think I read that the, yeah, as few as 90, we would have killed for 93 years ago. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, as few as 90. We would have killed for 90 like two years ago. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think the, the over-under, I think, in Vegas is 95. So, I think it was It was either – I thought it was 94 and a half, but 94 and a half, 95, what's the difference? Yeah. So I, I'm saying 95, but, you know, I'm always glass half full kind of guy with the Padres. So we'll see if I get burned again. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful. I mean, this is looking good. Yeah, I got 96 and 66 is my official record prediction. Wow, 30 games over 500. Imagine that. Yeah, and it still would leave us like 300 games under 500 all time. <laughs> so what's the story on fans in the stands? Do you, what's the percentage that they're going to do opening day? It's, well, as, you, um, as I'm sure you probably know, San Diego County is currently in the red tier, which allows 20% capacity outdoors. Okay. So, I mean, if it's a full house, how much does Petco hold? Like about 44,000 or something like that? I think maybe a little under that. Nobody really knows what the official capacity is because they they quietly change it almost every year on us. Like, I haven't known what it officially is in like five years. I'm not going to lie. I think I read something that the official listed is like, I don't know, 42,000. But Grutner was saying when you consider a park in the park and Western Metal Suites that you can – get 25% of a higher, uh, sorry, 20% of a higher number than what's listed. Mm, okay. So they, they can play around with the numbers a bit. You know, it's not like um, Viejas Arena. We all know it's what, 12,414. Yeah. You but, got the number right on the nose. <laughs> um, so 20% of, let's just say 40,000 is like roughly 8,000 fans. Yeah. Um, and Gruppner was saying that they could bump that up to nine or 10,000. I think it was. Okay. Now, my understanding is, is that there are people that have season tickets, like a full 162 game package, but they're not going to be able to go to every game or not a 162 package, an 81 game package, but they're not going to be able to go to every game because of this limitation, right? Yeah, that's the way I see it. Um, now, the good news on that front, there's actually two good news on that front. One of them is more definite than the other. The first one is that we are approaching a point where I'm, I'm sure, I don't know if how closely you follow this, but you know, when um, the state gets to 4 million vaccine doses given to healthy quartile one, the least healthy quartile, 
that the limit, that the floor, that the that the number you need to get down to to go into orange goes up from four to six. Mm-hmm. And I believe okay. on the adjusted case rate, and I believe San Diego County just went under that last week. So if the numbers stay where they are or even keep going down, which will be great, um, then when we get to that four million mark, which I think we will in the next week or two, we should move into the orange tier, which would then push us up to 33 percent capacity. Oh, okay. It's an extra couple thousand, which makes a big difference when the demand's as high as it is. Yeah. So then you're going to talking about maybe 12,000 fans. Yeah. 12, 13,000. Maybe you can even push it to 14, depending on how much of the extra space you use, like Gruppner was talking about. Right on. Well, you still nowhere near what, still nowhere near what we'd be getting every night with this team. Yeah. You, but you figure they've got to get as many butts in the seat as they can because they got a big payroll to pay for, right? Yeah. Now I'm I'm actually pretty optimistic that maybe by the post that maybe while we're in the playoffs or maybe even making a playoff run in September that or well we're probably gonna be in the playoffs either way, like a run for the division title maybe, fingers crossed, in September, that you might be able to get a full house, you know, September of the postseason. That'd be nice. Uh, I'm this is that's the that's very far from a guarantee, unlike moving to Orange Tier, which is probably going to happen. But it certainly is a possibility. Well, I know that other other teams, when they've come to San Diego, whether they're playing in the NFL or MLB, when the San Diego stadium is packed, it's one of the loudest stadiums in all of the nation, whether it's Qualcomm at 100 percent or Petco at 100 percent. So let's hope for that. That'd be something. I mean, I think it's totally possible too, because what you're seeing is, I believe, and I'm going to use this comparison, is that Israel at this moment, as we speak, has fully vaccinated about 55% of their population, and their numbers just keep plummeting. So it's like clearly working there. And their numbers are down to what would be about. 21,400 cases a day in the United States is what their equivalent is, which is like a little under 600 there because we have like 36 times the population of them. Mm -hmm. Like Israel is less popular than Los Angeles County. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So anyways, seeing that Israel and that's not even the numbers that they have now, that's not really what the numbers will look like at 55% fully vaccinated because remember it's two weeks after the second dose. So it's really like a little over half now what it, the numbers are showing. So, and I, the way we ramped up, we're getting close to three, our seven day average is close to 3 million vaccinations a day now. And that's supposed to ramp up even more. So we can get to where Israel is in a couple of months. Yeah. I mean, now I think, that uh, said, California will probably be the last or one of the last States to open everything a hundred percent. So I'm not expecting a full house at Petco until 2022, but I haven't ruled it out for maybe the postseason. Okay. Well, that's something we can hopefully look forward to. And they're talking about another potential surge here. Um, I know the CDC chair was like really doom and gloom. Like the, she came out in the news like the last day or so. She so. She just—I mean, she just freaks out over anything. Honestly, it seems to me like she just freaks out over the littlest thing. Yeah, she has so, good intentions though, but she has good intentions. So it's it doesn't—it's no harm in it. It's just a little bit of like chill, chill. 
Well, from her perspective, I think better to be conservative, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you don't yeah. want to you don't want to tell people 15 down to zero and then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this. Yeah, this is going to be something. Now we're going from 60 games to 162 games. Um, yeah, I'm with you, Michael. I'm thinking I'm thinking that we won't have 100 percent until 2022. But I'm just saying it's not I'm not ruling out 100 for the postseason this year, but I'm thinking more 2022 for that as well. OK, so you figure that we won't get the full 162 in, but we'll get something at least 100 games in, right? I think we'll get 162. I mean, all these other leagues manage in much worse situations. So, right. So I, I don't see any reason that we don't get to 162. Now, could I see a, a situation where a team or two has an outbreak and misses a week and they only play 154 or 156? That, something like that, yeah. But for the most part, I think you'll get in the 162. So Mike Ryan on the live stream saying he's thinking 2022 for 100% opening. And I think- yeah, that's what I was saying to him before I answered that question. Yeah, so you and Mike are definitely in agreement there. Yeah, definitely. But, you know, um, Tingler makes a big deal out of this, you know, 60 to 162 games. and It is a big deal, if you ask me. But it's always been 162 every year, except last year. Um, And even last year, they were pitching quite a bit, you know, through the spring and summer. So maybe he's just being extra cautious, too. Well, yeah, I mean, you have to be. I mean, and it's a different approach, too, like – Last year, you're like 60 games preparing for a sprint. This year, you're preparing for a marathon. Right. So totally different. So I understand why Tingler is concerned. Yeah, and I think that's where the six-man rotation could actually work in their favor, right? Yeah, that's why we're going to probably have one, I think. Yeah. Um, What what about the minor leagues? Are are they going to be fully functional this year? See, AAA isn't starting until May, so they're doing – alternate sites but they're doing it in arizona so you're playing against other players at other teams alternate sites which is good because that was really bad for like mackenzie gore like not having that adrenaline of an actual game atmosphere last year i think that's part of why gore's not hasn't come along as fast as we hoped Mm -hmm. so yeah so you but then what about double a and single a i mean i know that they they um lessen the number of minor league teams. I know there was just a, you know, kind of an overhaul of the system, but are the Padres there? Are there still going to have a team in Lake Elsinore this year? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. So hopefully there's some normalcy or some degree of normalcy in the minor leagues for them. But yeah, to your point, maybe they don't really start their season until May. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, so what else? What have we not covered here about the Padres? I think we've gotten into most everything. Tingler sure looks, you know, at ease in his job and all the press conferences I've witnessed. Yeah. Yeah, so um, now what's your prediction? Do you think the Padres can – do you think they can um, get over the Dodgers? Do you think that's doable? It's doable, but I don't know if it's going to happen. I mean, the Dodgers are still really good and – I mean, if you have any question marks at all, that's going to be a tough spot to get ahead of the Dodgers. And we don't really know about Paddock. So when we already have injuries to start the season, who knows if that's going to be a trend this year? Could we do it? Yeah, but I'm thinking more 2022 for that. So let's just have some fun. Let's go head to head, play position by position. Who's got the better player? 
You want to start it off and go around the horn? Sure. Um, Starting catcher, it's close, but I'd probably take Will Smith over Nola. That's a close call, though. Right. First base, I don't think there's any question that it's Muncy over Hosmer. Mm -hmm. Second, we don't really know what's Gavin Lux going to do, or is it going to be Chris Taylor? And Cronenworth was pretty good last year and had a nice spring. So I'll take – I like what we got at second there. Mm -hmm. Third and short is probably the most hotly debated. Turner's been better, but he's getting up there in age, and I think Machado's going to have his best couple years last year and these next two coming up. And then shortstop, I mean, we all love Tatis, but Seager was just NLCS and World Series MVP, and he sure ain't a slouch either. And plus, this is a contract year for Seager, isn't it? Yeah, so I'd say it's pretty even over there. Left Mm -hmm. field, it's close. I mean, A.J. Pollock and Tommy Pham are kind of similar. They're both good when they play, but they're both injury prone, so they're pretty similar. Center field, obviously, you take Bellinger over Grisham, even though I love Grisham. And right field, obviously, Mookie Betts over Myers. Right. So it looks like the Dodgers won. You know, they're they're ahead of us on more of those than than not. Yeah, they're still the class of the division as much as we want to get them. And then from the pitching perspective, do you see it kind of go in that direction too? Um, I would take uh, I would take Bueller over um, Darvish. I would Snell and uh, Kershaw at this point are pretty equal. Uh, Musgrove and May pretty equal as well. Paddock, I'd probably, I'd probably go with um, Julio Urias over him because we just don't know. And then David Price is just or uh, Tony Gonsolin, whoever it is, is more proven than um, Morey Hone. Even though I think Morey Hone has a good chance to be good this year. Is is Bauer better than our best pitcher? No, he's not. Yeah, that guy, he'll be fun to watch because he's, he's a you know big showboater, but he'll see if he can follow through on his performance. Well, Bauer has the same thing as Darvish, where he only faced weak central lineups last year. Right, exactly. And, and the, Dodgers, the guy gets the nose for him. The guy gets so much media press as being this great pitcher, but he has a 390 career RA, and he's only had one full 162 elite season. That was 2018. Right. So. Well, it's kind of like Darvish too. You know, he's had a limited amount of time when he's been dominant. So yeah. we'll see. So you've got the Padres at 90, you said 96 wins? Yes. Um, and where do you think the Dodgers land? Probably, uh, I'll, I'll just say 102. So that would make the Padres a wild card team. And that means it's a one and done playoff game, right? Yeah, potentially against uh, Jacob DeGrom and the New York Mets, which does not sound fun at all. One one game for your whole season against Jacob DeGrom, that doesn't seem really fair. Yeah, that's something. So That one game wild card, that format's just not fair in general. In 2015, the Pirates won 98 games. The two teams in the World Series, the Royals and the Mets, won 95 and 90 games, and the Pirates got one game. With more regular season wins than both teams that end up in the World Series. That's that's really not fair. They got to make that best of three. Well, if you don't mind me shifting gears, uh, talking about one and done in the playoffs, we got to talk about the Aztec basketball team. Do we really? That game was so bad. That was, it was, that was I know. It that was, was a tough, nightmare. But, but I, I just wanted to get, you know, a couple of top of mind thoughts on that Aztec game and kind of what you look forward to for next season. 
I look forward to Lamont Butler playing more for next season. Right. I mean, right now, that's all I can really say about next season. I'm looking forward to Shackles probably gone. Mitchell's probably gone. Gomez is gone. We don't know if Tomajic and Pulliam will be back. So all we can say that I really look forward to next year is Lamont Butler. I mean, I like that kid. Yeah, I mean, and Dinwiddie looks like a pretty good sharpshooter, you know? Yeah, they got to give him – I wish he kind of played more at some of the end of some of those blowouts. So we don't really know what we have in him. The potential's there, but he hasn't played enough for us to know yet. I think a lot's going to depend on what kind of transfers they get. Yeah, and that and the development of guys like Dinwiddie and Chi Evans. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, that was a rough game, you know, and it was just the worst possible draw for the Aztecs to get Syracuse in the first round. But yeah, San Diego sports curse, right? Yeah, of course we we can't we get the Jim Beheim uh, coach team in March, which is like a nightmare for anybody. Ask West Virginia. Yeah, I mean, unbelievable. So who do you like right now? We're, they're down to the Elite Eight, right? So. Yeah, the Elite Eight. We got the Elite Eight games in about an hour and a half. Okay. So everyone thinks Gonzaga is going to run the table, right? But I mean, they not, look like far and away the best team. I don't think there's any question about that. But if not Gonzaga, then who? If it's if Gonzaga somehow loses, I think it's anybody's because Baylor got there like I thought they would, but they didn't look as impressive as I thought they would. Michigan's played pretty well without Livers. I had Michigan in my championship game, uh, losing to Illinois, who lost in the round of 32, of course. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that just happens every year to everyone's bracket. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. Michigan's played pretty well without Livers. I had them in my championship game, assuming Livers would play. But now he's out for the tournament, so now they'll probably lose to Gonzaga in the Final Four. Well, I I always root for the West Coast teams, right? So we've got two Pac-12 teams in there. So those will be good teams to root for. Yeah, I'll be rooting for against State for sure, against Houston. Yeah, yeah for sure. So, okay, that's playing up. But, yeah, I mean, here on the live stream, Mike Ryan's saying he's looking forward to eating in the Omni Club at Petco. <laughs> so, do you do you have season tickets to Petco? Because I know uh, we have our um, we are part of the people that are currently having to deal with Ticketmaster being the Dean Spanos of resale sites and breaking when people are supposed to have their resale. They put the Sunday game against Arizona in our inventory. I don't know if we got any more because they haven't said anything to my dad yet. So I don't know. I was hoping for Friday because that's Snell's debut, but that doesn't seem like it's going to happen. Yeah. So might get one of the weekday giant games if we're lucky. <laughs> yeah, I just got to figure out. Because they're doing it homestand by homestand because the county could obviously change tiers in between homestands, which actually is probably going to happen. We're probably going to go to Orange during the road trip and then get 33% capacity for the next series. That'd be nice. Well, I know you like to get there early, right? For BP. But- I don't know if they're doing that this year, though, because. Yeah. You know, you don't want people all bunching into one area like what happens every time in BP. I mean, the A's uh, said they're flat out said the fans aren't coming in for BP this year. The Padres haven't really said anything about protocols. The but the A's, you know, they're under California rules, too. And they said that no buying practice. So I'm just assuming that's not happening this year. So here's another question. I, I haven't gotten an answer on this one yet. Is you know we watch all the games on Fox Sports San Diego, right? So it's channel fifty six on Cox Cable. 
Yeah. So we've been talking about cutting the cord for a long time and we really want to make the move, but I'm not sure where the Padre games are available, like streaming. Do you know anything about that? Um, Hulu's streaming, right? Yeah, because I know Hulu. I think they're on. I think they're on Hulu still. I'm not sure on that though. Yeah, we 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 have been dragging our feet on cutting the cord for the longest time, and we finally said this is the year we do it. But I wanted to wait until we found out what was going to happen with the Padre games because they always seem to negotiate it to the last minute before they figure out what platform they're on. So yeah, it's they're not on YouTube TV. Um, I think they're still on Hulu, though. Mm-hmm. Not positive, though. How about that Peter Seidler, man? What a change when he switched chairs with Ron Fowler, huh? Yeah. Peter Seidler's, you know, Peter Seidler has a lot of balls to be spending all the money that he's spending because, like we talked about earlier, we're probably not seeing a full house at Petco until 2022. And he's still out here spending money. And honestly, it was ballsy for him to do that because in December and January, I think most people would have said that there would have been no fans at all at Petco to sell the year. I know I certainly thought in December and January, I'm like, there's no way we're going to have fans at Petco. Well, it's it's interesting because this seems very similar to me to when the Padres that year in 2016, when they signed all those international free agents. Yes. Um, it's, it's almost like when the market is zigging, the Padres zag and they see an economic opportunity to kind of, you know, go for it and, and they make a move. And it seems like that's what they're doing this year when all the other teams are kind of being conservative, they're going all in. Yeah. And I mean, if the team performs and gets people more excited I mean, I think 2022 is going to – the Padres are going to shatter their attendance record in 2022. Absolutely shatter it. And the reason I say that, there's a couple reasons. One, because 2022 will probably be the next time we'll have full capacity. Two, it, like you were saying earlier, even full season members can't get 81 games this year, so they'll roll that over to 2022. Mm-hmm. And then what was the other reason I was going to say? If this team performs, like I think they will – then it's going to get people even more excited. Demand's just going to go higher. And four, that, number four is that people still want to come to California, but being one of the most restrictive states right now, that's kind of killing people coming to California. But come 2022, all that tourism is going to come back. So people go to games while they're here or plan a road trip around, plan a vacation around their team playing the Padres here especially with Padres being one of the hottest tickets in the game. I'd imagine their road attendance numbers are going to be very good this year. I mean, well, this year is kind of a weird deal for attendance because it's still limited, but I see what you're saying. One thing I want to make sure I say before we close is that with the Padres and Dodgers is that this is absolutely a rivalry, despite what Dodger fans try to tell you. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they spend so much time. You know it's a rivalry because they spend so much time denying that it is. Right. And that's when you know that it really is a rivalry. And they just can't stop talking about us. Exactly. They win yeah. the World Series last year. They spend all offseason talking about us. So it, it is. Not a rivalry, a rivalry, though. It Not is. a rivalry, though. <laughs> now, it's got to be 
proven out on the field. There's going to need to be more history to this, but it's definitely shaping up to be a rivalry. And you got two teams in close proximity, kind of like the Yankees and Red Sox. I mean, this is setting up really nice. I'm glad Um, you mentioned the Yankees Red Sox because what does Yankees Red Sox look like in a normal year? Every game is a packed house with a lot of Yankee fans going to Boston for the games at Fenway. A lot of Red Sox fans coming down to Yankee Stadium for the games in the Bronx. Every game's on national TV. So Sunday night baseball, Mm -hmm. Fox Saturday baseball, MLB Network special on Friday night. And I think that's what Padres Dodgers is going to be come 2022 when you're at full capacity again. You know, we'll have a packed house every game, 45,000 at Petco every time the Dodgers are here, 56,000 every time we play the Dodgers in L.A. A lot of Dodger fans will come down here for the games. A lot of Padre fans will go up to Dodger Stadium for the games. It'll always be Sunday night baseball. It'll always be on Fox or FS1 on Saturday and always be on LB Network on Friday. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't that be something to be, you know, the center of the baseball universe for a period of time? Yeah, Uh, I think for the next – Several years, this it's going to be the West Coast Yankees, uh, Yankees Red Sox. I don't think there's even a question about that. Do you see the Giants, Diamondbacks, or Rockies? You know, maybe not this year, but in the next year or two, really becoming competitive again. I mean, the Rockies are screwed until um, the Montfort brothers sell the team. Right, they are absolutely screwed until they get better ownership because the Montforts just don't care. They're happy just doing the bare minimum to get people to come out to Coors Field. And come 2022, when things are full capacity, they're going to be in a rude awakening when Coors Field is able to seat 50,000 again. They're getting 20,000, and half of them are rooting for the, and half of them are more rooting for the other team. Right. So the Monforts are in for a very rude awakening in a post pandemic world. And the Rockies are just screwed as long as they're the owners. Enjoy your lucky 2007 run, Colorado. I mean, that's all you're going to have forever unless the Montforts go away. Well, I saw in, was it today's game that um, Connor Joe is playing for the Rockies? Yeah. So, you know, Poway's own Connor Joe. So it'd be fun to see, you know, if he can stick with the big team and, and, and really start to get some traction. I mean, they have, they have nothing else, so. And then. Really, who do you see as the third-place team in the division? Um, this year, I'd take Arizona because they had a rough 60-game season last year, But and Bumgarner sucks. That's one of the worst contracts in the league. But Cattell Marte is good. David Peralta is good. Calhoun's a Padre killer. Christian yeah. Walker's slept on. I still think Carson Kelly has potential. Nick Ahmed's a fantastic defensive shortstop. And they do have Zach Guyon and... Zach Allen, sorry, excuse me. Thought it was. I don't know why I thought it was Spanish and the L would sound like a Y. It's gallon, like gallon of water. Um, and Luke Weaver, he really struggled last year, but I think he has potential. He's pretty good in 2019. So Arizona, they're probably better this year. As a, but going forward, I take San Francisco. I mean, they got they got another Poway guy, Alex Dickerson, who's just a fantastic right. guy. I know him. He's a terrific guy. Really happy to see him succeeding, even if it's for a Padres division rival. Mike Yastrzemski's really good. Belt looked like he had a bounce back last year. Posey, he might be more back to form now because what you're seeing is a lot of these guys who opted out, 
the year they're older guys and the year of rest seem to do a lot for their bodies. Like Ryan Zimmerman's tearing it up this spring for Washington. Price is at a really good spring for the Dodgers. They seem like these veterans that opting out gave them that rest that their bodies honestly needed. Because Posey, like those two, had been battling banged up injuries the last couple of years. So maybe that'll put recharge his tank a little more. Tommy LaStella was a nice signing for San Francisco. So the Giants have some interesting pieces going forward. Their farm system's getting better. They have the old Dodgers uh, GM, Zadi, I think is his last name. So San Francisco, they're trending up. They have some interesting pieces going forward, but they're still not going to catch us in the Dodgers for a while. I don't think anybody will, though. That's no disrespect to the Giants. Yeah, there's a big there's a big gap between two and three in the division. But I'm with you. I think the Giants are the number three team. But what I what caught my attention is I saw for the Giants, they announced some of the players that won't make the major league opening day roster. And one of them was Scott Casimir. And I was thinking, Casimir, that guy's been around forever. And I remember I looked him up on baseball reference. I mean, he's been in the big leagues for 12, 14 years. Yeah. Um, so he's he, so they've got a number of other kind of veteran pitchers like that. Is Cueto still pitching for the Yeah, team? he's still there. I believe he's on the last or second to last year of that big contract he signed in 2016. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't remember if it was a six or seven year deal that he signed then, but this is year six of it for him in San Francisco, so he won't be there much longer. Yeah, that's a long contract for a pitcher. Um but yeah, I mean, it's great. We we got some Poway guys in Colorado and in San Francisco and in Pittsburgh. So that that gives us some other things to root for while we're rooting for our Padres. And Baltimore too with uh, Tyler and Evan. Maybe oh, yeah. he'll get maybe he'll crack the roster this year. They need all the help they can get. So give Tyler a shot. Give our Poway dude a shot, Baltimore. You need all the help you can get. Well, worst case, he'll be triple A, right? Yeah, I would think so. I would have to think so. I would think so too. All right, so opening day is Thursday, April 1st. Yes. And we're starting you, Darvish, and who are the uh, Diamondbacks starting on the on the hill? Bumgarner. Oh, Bum, of course, Bumgarner. Third straight year we're seeing Bumgarner on opening day. Probably would have been Gallon if he wasn't hurt, but we get Bumgarner for the third year in a row. Okay. But he's, he's beatable now, right? Oh, yeah. He's not the same at all anymore. We crushed him last year when we faced him. He's just not the same guy he was at all. I said that contract was terrible when he signed it. Back in December of 2019, Diamondback fans didn't listen to me when I warned them that he wasn't going to be good, but his ERA was terrible outside of – I'm not even bragging. His ERA sucked outside of Oracle Park for two, three years before that. I just knew if he left San Francisco, he wasn't going to be good. It seemed like a desperate signing for the Diamondbacks because, you know, they got rid of Granke and a lot of their other better pitchers. Well, what what I think what happened with Arizona was they were thinking they were going to rebuild when they traded Goldschmidt to St. Louis. And then they had a, you know, they were 500, but still not like competitive. So they traded Granke to Houston at the deadline. Then they went on, went on, went on that big run in August and September and they're like, oh, maybe we're ahead of where we thought. We Maybe we should have kept, uh, kept Grinky. So they got desperate and tried to sign his replacement, but it didn't work. Yeah. Well, good for us. We get to face uh, Bumgarner on the downside of his career. We got Darvish on the hill. So it's looking good for us. Yeah. Bumgarner, I mean, Bumgarner and Kelly have combined to give up five home runs to Tatis and like 24 at-bats. And Merrill Kelly's pitching game too. So... Fernando Tatis Jr. might get off to a really hot start this season. 
Nice. So one other kind of off-topic question for you. Um, you've started up your own podcast, so tell me about it. Yeah, it's actually a, a YouTube channel where I'm – it's called San Diego Sports Insight where I just talk about Padres and San Diego State football and basketball stuff that comes up and preview big games. Like I previewed that two-game series against uh, Boise State that put us in the driver's seat to win the regular season title. I previewed the Mountain West Tournament. I recapped – pretty much every game that happened since I started the channel. Mm -hmm. I've done weekly recaps of Padres spring training. And actually after this sometime tonight, I'm going to record my own preview of the season that I'm going to put on YouTube. Great. So how's that working out for you? Have you, are you having fun doing it? Oh, I'm having a blast doing it. I think it's awesome. Yeah. It's doing a podcast is great. You know, whether you're doing a YouTube channel or an audio only or both. I mean, I'm just happy to see that you've got your own platform because you have so much to share so much. Um, I mean, not only do you have great recollection of all the, the data, the history, but you've got some really great takes. You've got some good opinions, good uh, knowledge of the game. So I think it's great that you're out there and, you know, kind of, you know, working your chops, you know, getting better. I mean, you've got a future doing this sports journalism. Thank you. I'm very excited about my YouTube channel. It's been a lot of fun so far. Right on. Well, good luck to you, David. And what's Thank the name you. of your YouTube channel again? San Diego Sports Insight. Okay. So they can like look you up on YouTube, San Diego Sports Insight, or just yeah, look up David Leland. I look up San Diego Sports Insight because that's the name of the channel. Okay. Well, all good. All right, Dave. Well, well, thanks for joining us. You know, I think we had a good thanks conversation. Thanks for having me. Almost exactly an hour. Mike Ryan says Padres could surprise the Dodgers this season. Mike, I hope you're right. And so um, let's go Padres. Let's make it 2021 right. a great season. Thanks, David. All right. Thank you. Thank you.